just need to get out of 2018 alive. That's the new goal. Just get the hell out of this season before these crazed, spiteful fantasy gamers burn the whole thing down. I'm scared. You wander over so if you wander over to social media at this point in the fantasy season, you need to be fully armed. Like I feel bad for the fantasy analysts that are not fully equipped because I've been leveling up for years. Years and years of leveling up, upgrading my weaponry, my armor, so that no matter what anyone throws at me, I boomerang it back at them times five. You hit me with a rock, I hit you with a flamethrower. That's how you survive on social media in December, when the stakes are high and tensions are mounting. Why are you all so mad? Early in the season, I asked the question of myself, why am I so mad? Why? Why? Why am I so agitated? Now I ask the question back to the audience. Why are you so agitated? Fuck is wrong with you, man. This is a game. And it's not just a game. It's a game that is a proxy for yet another game. This is a hobby. It is leisure time. This is not meant to be a source of great anxiety, of heightened emotion. Take a breath. But no, no. The fantasy goons are insane with rage at Yahoo Sports. For making Jalen Samuels a tight end. This is the great debate on fantasy Twitter right now. And as someone who advocates for every league to add flex spots, I love dual eligibility. That's the other way you can get to more flex spots. You can make more players dual eligible. I love it. If you played wide receiver in college, you should be a running back slash wide receiver at the professional level. You should be able to play Theo Riddick at wide receiver. Why not? Odell Beckham Jr. has multiple touchdown passes. Let him play quarterback. Why not? The moment a player throws a pass, they should qualify for quarterback. We should be able to play Odell Beckham Jr. and Duke Johnson, Mohamed Sanu. Play all those guys at quarterback. Who cares? It's fun and intriguing. It's more interesting. If you have more flex spots, more players in your active lineup, and more position flexibility to fit players into your lineup that are going to score fantasy points because that's the ultimate goal is to score fantasy points. And yet you're bitter because you didn't win Jalen Samuels in your free agent auction bidding. Your waiver claim wasn't high enough. Your opponent who managed his free agent dollars better, who was more conservative with his waiver claims, now has Jalen Samuels and he's going to beat you over the head with him. And I hope he does in Yahoo in the tight end position. Because fuck your self-serious faux outrage directed at Yahoo. And I just hope that the people at Yahoo understand that giving Jalen Samuels dual position eligibility is good for their brand. It's creating conversations on social media, providing more exposure for that platform. And rather than running from it, cowering to the bitter assholes with the loud voices that missed out on Jalen Samuels, Embrace it. Own it. They're already the most popular fantasy football platform. If they want to stay there, I would suggest more outside-the-box position designations. Push the envelope with the default league configuration settings. It's provocative, and provocativeness creates attention and generates more users by expanding the platform's reach and building an even greater user base. 
I just hope that those on the front lines that are absorbing this furnace blast of negativity from the bitter assholes that didn't get Jalen Samuels and now they're mad that they might lose their matchup. They might lose. They're not even going to let it play out. They're already mad that they might lose on what they have deemed a technicality that they're getting out in front with their rage directed at Yahoo Fantasy Football support because that's what they need in life, right? Self-serious fantasy guy because of the six playoff teams. One got Jalen Samuels, four are ambivalent, and one is enraged so much so that they are yelling at Yahoo in all caps on social media. I hope that Yahoo recognizes that this publicity is good publicity and not only holds firm and continues to designate Jalen Samuels as a tight end through the end of the fantasy football season, but that they double down and take the flexibility of positions and league configurations and starting lineups further in 2019. You know it's what I would do. When in doubt, the podfather runs into the burning building because I'm the one that set it on fire in the first place. And we've been talking about the versatility of Jalen Samuels for a long time. He did play tight end at NC State. The college target share, 20%. He commanded a 20% target share out of the H-back tight end slot. Think about that one. He is the Swiss Army knife of NFL running backs. He's the running back I want so many NFL teams to feature in their offense. He's best comparable to Marcel Reese on playerprofiler.com because he has upper percentile speed, burst, and agility at 225 pounds. Marcel Reese was a hell of a football player. In his prime, Marcel Reese was one of the most talented running backs in the league. He simply was underutilized by the Oakland Raiders. The 2-14 Oakland Raiders shockingly couldn't figure out how to maximize Marcel Reese's utility for their team. Mike Tomlin is a much more sophisticated coach, and I think he has the creativity and intellectual curiosity to see what Jalen Samuels can do and lean on him if he's excelling in all phases, which I think we know he can do. We know he's a phenomenal receiver at six foot 225, and he has the athletic profile of a sub-David Johnson. He's not David Johnson, but the next level down from David Johnson athletically at 225 would be Jalen Samuels. And the criticism of David Johnson was, oh, he lacked courage between the tackles. And that's the only criticism I'm hearing of Jalen Samuels. I'd like to see it to believe it. Because at six foot 225 with an 1121 69th percentile agility score, I think that he would do just fine maneuvering between the tackles. But his catch rate is 77.8%, so we know he can squeeze the football. I'm going to be playing him in flex in seasonal leagues. I'm going to be playing him in cash games in DFS. Oh, yes. There is no fear-based decision-making in the underworld. We're not worried about Stephen Ridley. Stephen Ridley is a baseline running back talent with a clock-killing profile. You bring in Stephen Ridley as your victory cigar to let him run between the tackles two yards at a time to grind out the clock in the fourth quarter. That's his designated role in an NFL offense. The idea that he's going to do more than that does not stand up to logical reasoning. If you put yourself in the shoes of Mike Tomlin, you are going to maximize running back touches for Jalen Samuels. Minimize them for Steven Ridley because no matter where you distribute the ball to the running back on the field, Jalen Samuels is going to get more out of it than Steven Ridley. Now, on the other coast, a debate is raging about who the starting running back for the LA Chargers is. 
Melvin Gordon is hurt. He's out for weeks with a sprained MCL. Austin Eckler has been the designated number two option in that backfield for almost two years. And all he's done when called upon is produce and produce efficiently. 78.7% catch rate for him as well. That's top 12 in the NFL. So when Austin Eckler is out in space, he's squeezing the football in the passing game and he's breaking long runs in the running game. 9.6% breakaway run rate is top five in the NFL. Yards per touch, true yards per carry, production premium. You look at all those advanced efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com. There's Austin Eckler in the top 10. He's now being unlocked. It's time to celebrate. It's not time to yawn at Austin Eckler and go move on and look for the next guy. What? It's been a week. And already the fickle fantasy gamer is ready to move on from Austin Eckler because Austin Eckler didn't produce enough against the Steelers. He disappointed you. You started him and he only delivered 9.3 fantasy points. He was outscored in fantasy football by Justin Jackson, who I love, by the way. Even though Eckler dominated the touches. Isn't that how we evaluate opportunity and project it for the following week? We look at the touches the previous week and we look for trends. I'm seeing Austin Eckler targeted eight times, second on the team by far and away, and carry the ball 13 times, almost twice as many carries as Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson just happened to break a couple long runs that I believe if Austin Eckler were afforded, he would have broken those same long runs. Look at the breakaway run rate. Austin Eckler has a proven track record of efficiency at the NFL level. He's put the tape down for the Chargers coaches to evaluate him. Justin Jackson has one game with NFL production, but Justin Jackson has draft capital. Seventh round, late seventh round, but, 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 but he was drafted. And for all the draft capital zombies, Austin Eckler scoring less than 10 fantasy points in week 13 was all they needed to latch on to. You see? You see? He wasn't drafted. He can't carry the load. Did you hear what his coach said about him? Because I'm seeing these tweets on Twitter. Hey, did you guys miss the fact that Lynn said Eckler was tired from special teams? Said Jackson will play much more this week. First of all, he didn't say Jackson's going to play a lot more this week. He said that Austin Eckler was tired. Big deal. Coaches say a lot of things after games as they stumble around looking for the safest possible way to say nothing. Why is this the soundbite that you're latching onto. Oh, I know, because you picked up Justin Jackson on waivers, and now you're practicing the art of confirmation bias. You're not looking for any information that doesn't confirm your hope that Justin Jackson becomes the starting running back for the Chargers, even though there is no concrete evidence that would suggest that the Chargers will be installing Justin Jackson as their primary back in Week 14. None! Just a throwaway comment from a coach that Eckler was tired. My takeaway from Lynn's remarks that I somehow missed that I didn't miss is not that they're going to ramp up Justin Jackson's usage, it's that they're going to throttle down Austin Eckler's special teams contributions. If he's tired from special teams, don't play him on special teams then! It's very simple. And one of my favorite principles in all of science is the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy. It states that significant energy is required to push a system out of its stasis state. And in football, that means major stimulus is required for movements up and down the depth chart, particularly at this point in the season with a team that is destined for the playoffs. The Chargers won that game. There's no reason for them to change what's working when they're not handing the ball off to Melvin Gordon, they're feeding Austin Eckler. That's been the stasis state for the Chargers for almost two years. 
The team is now 9-3. and three. And you think at this point they're going to start tinkering with a depth chart because you won Justin Jackson through the free agent bidding process of your fantasy football league? We always fade the coach speak. Every week coaches come out and say player X needs more touches. And then what happens the following week? Player X gets less touches than he got the week before. We really need to get Player X going. And then he underperforms expectations the following week. It happens over and over and over and over again. It happens so much that we ignore it every time. That it's not part of our process for projecting players into roles in their subsequent fantasy points. Never are we activating a player, starting a player, playing a player in DFS. Because the coach thinks this player needs to get going. Except this one time with Justin Jackson. No, 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 This time, because I have him on my team, and I need him in flex, no, 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 this time, the coach speak is real, right? This is coming from someone who was not heavily invested in Austin Eckler or Justin Jackson. I am emotionally invested in Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson is one of my favorite college players of all time. I'm a Northwestern graduate. I love Justin Jackson. He's my favorite player to talk about on this show because I love saying the name Justin Jackson. But I'm a realist. I've been at this a long time. Long enough to know that if you play players based on coach speak, the tail is wagging the dog. So we will be playing Austin Eckler this week. Look at the projections on playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. There's Austin Eckler in the top 15. And there's Justin Jackson. He's in the top 40, but he's right there with Naheem Hines and Giovanni Bernard because that will be his role on Sunday. Featured satellite back. You think he's going to outscore Jalen Richard? Another featured satellite back? Well, we think it's close. That's realism. Untainted by my guy bias. Take Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson's the starting running back. Isn't that great? He's the starting running back tethered to... <gasps> Kyle Shanahan! 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 Jeff Wilson's best comparable is Kelvin Taylor on Player Profiler because Jeff Wilson's a sub-athlete. He's six foot two ten, which comes out to a 28.5 16th percentile BMI, which is shockingly low for a player without a workout metric above the 40th percentile. So across the board, he's a sub-athlete. 102.4, 21st percentile Spark X score. Not impressive. And he wasn't particularly active in the passing game at the college level. 6.5 college target share. <laughs> I mean, why am I excited about Jeff Wilson? I have no idea. Is Jeff Wilson the starting running back for the Dallas Cowboys? A run-oriented juggernaut? No. He's the starting running back for arguably the most demoralized franchise in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers. But because his coach is believed to be a wizard. He has the magic wand. He can touch your shoulder with the wand, sprinkle the dust on your shoulder pads, and you become a top 10 running back in the league. That's the power of Kyle Shanahan. It's bullshit. All of it. Worthless narrative. Fade the coach speak. Fade the coach worship. The 49ers play the Broncos this week. This is a quality defense. You think Jeff Wilson is going to shred the Broncos? Like... In what world? What is happening? We live in a world where a running back like Austin Eckler, who checks all the boxes on a prolific offense, who has been thrust into a primary back role, is a fade, while Jeff Wilson, 
who checks no boxes on one of the lowest scoring offenses with one of the worst running games in the league is a screaming long. <laughs> what? It's as if player profiler was never built. I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. Like, it's a dream. Like, I never built playerprofiler.com. We never flipped the switch on the servers. We never collected all this data. Never happened. Because that was the pre-player profiler world. You would see Jeff Wilson and get excited for narrative reasons alone. And then Player Profiler came along and generated appreciation for players like Austin Eckler and Jalen Samuels. And now everyone in the fantasy football community is more informed. Analysts are better at their jobs. Fantasy gamers are winning more championships because of this website. This website that features zero analysis of hand position and footwork. Because that was the criticism of Cortland Sutton coming out of SMU. The film analysts criticized his lateral quickness, criticized his hand position. Matt Waldman haranguing for 10 minutes about Cortland Sutton's hand position. As if Cortland Sutton is watching. What does that accomplish? Here's why Cortland Sutton did not convert this particular catch. Picking apart his hand position. If he's not watching, who are you helping? Nobody. In fact, it goes beyond simply being unhelpful. It's a red herring. The film-based criticism of players like Cortland Sutton led many fantasy gamers to draft Calvin Ridley before Cortland Sutton in Dynasty Rookie Drafts, and that was a mistake. So not only does film-based analysis have no value, it's a detriment to building the best possible Dynasty team. You focus on Cortland Sutton's footwork or his hand position, you miss the bigger picture. That he was a young, dominant, prototypical Alpha X receiver at SMU. One of very few receivers with exceptional size-adjusted athleticism and age-adjusted college dominance. A truly special talent, evidenced best by his 1068 97th percentile agility score. How about that footwork? Huh, film grinders? It turns out, when we actually turn our stopwatches on, your observations from rewinding the game couldn't have been more wrong. And now here's Cortland Sutton, ascending to the number one wide receiver chair in Denver as Emmanuel Sanders is lost for the season with a torn Achilles. And now Cortland Sutton is a top 24 wide receiver the rest of the way, and he will help fantasy gamers win championships in both seasonal and dynasty leagues. And you don't have Cortland Sutton on your dynasty team because you were worried about his fucking hand position. As if that's not something he can work on. You can't work on size-adjusted lateral quickness. You either have it or you don't. We are not receivers coaches. That's not our job to coach up the hand position. Our job is to evaluate quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, based on the data that actually predicts future performance. How about that? Observations that have real value. You could listen to a 10-minute lecture on hand position or visit Player Profiler for 30 seconds and you'll know, oh yeah, Cortland Sutton, he's one of the top two receivers in this class. The top two receivers in this class by a wide margin, Cortland Sutton, DJ Moore, not Calvin Ridley. But the film analysts insisted that Calvin Ridley's route running made him the class of the 2018 wide receiver class and they were wrong. And the tape lied. It is wheels up in a major way for Cortland Sutton. He is a free square wide receiver in DFS. He's a must start in seasonal leagues. And he's a boon for anyone that drafted him in Dynasty. And we'll talk about Cortland Sutton. And we'll talk about Austin Eckler and Jeff Wilson and Jalen Samuels with my guest, Ian Hartitz. You heard that right. 
he's the current bad boy in the fantasy football community, getting suspended by the NFL. My kind of guy. Now, admittedly, this was recorded prior to Emmanuel Sanders rupturing his Achilles. But I think you'll find the analysis even more stimulating because it happened pre-injury. And for all those that think this show is too long, this is why this show is this long. So we can give you the analysis pre- and post-injury. We cover all sides of the players that matter for DFS, seasonal leagues, and dynasty. And if you don't like it, you can eat it. In this post-apocalyptic world where there are flames everywhere and fantasy gamers have become maniacs, burning everything in sight, it is the podfather who rises. Follow me and we will survive this season. Now, let's go talk to Ian Hartitz from Fantasy Labs. Follow him at I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Ian Hartitz. I know, I know. I read it as hard tits every time. I'm I'm not sorry about that, actually. I love it. He's the head of NFL at Fantasy Labs. Ian, talk to me. Matt, I've only told a dear friend in the program, man, so he can also call me this, but feel free to just call me tits, man. We don't need to cut around, uh, cut around the edges. I want to call you tits so bad. I love that word. It's one of my favorite words. The beauty is it's a species of bird. <laughs> so we can get around the sensors... Not that there are sensors on the Roto Underworld radio program. We can say whatever the f*** we want here. But if we had to get around sensors, we could say, hey, listen, man, I have a titmouse at my bird feeder right now. You need to get closer to nature and understand that not everything is pornographic, bro. Get your head out of the gutter. Pretty, uh, pretty embarrassing for me not to even know there's a species that has my name. So that's on me, man. I'll be better. <laughs> the NFL's better this season. It's so good, right? Even a defensive matchup like Cowboys-Saints is good football. It's just better football. The product that the NFL is putting out is better. How much more are you enjoying the NFL product in 2018 versus previous seasons? It has been fantastic, man. I'm happy you brought up the Saints-Cowboys game because, I mean, Rams-Chiefs, there was a little bit more defense being played. I think that game got credit for. I know Rams, I think, had two defensive touchdowns there. Not quite, you know, Big 12 defense, but it did seem like we were kind of moving towards that. No one had stopped the Saints in months. I mean, their implied totals were just getting insane from Vegas. But, yeah, man, it's been good ball. And to see this uh, Cowboys really prove that you can still have these athletic linebackers that can completely ruin an offense's game plan just by beating blocks consistently. Uh, good to see. I think the big storyline that's disappeared is all these uh, kind of rough in the passer penalties. And guess what? We've seen less uh, basically stationary quarterbacks get rammed into the turf by big athletic linemen trying to kill them, which has, I think, helped the brand. Usually, I think we when we see bad football, it's these like end-of-season end games with multiple backup quarterbacks. So NFL clearly looked at it and said, we got to keep these uh, you know, signal callers healthy, which they've been doing for years, and taking away those kind of massive hits where they are just stationary in the pocket. I think it's had a big thing to do with it. And sure enough, you know, we haven't really been hearing about all those penalties for uh, the last month or two. So, Well, the big quarterback injury was to Jimmy Garoppolo, torn ACL, but Nick Mullins comes in, and he's had multiple 300-yard games. Other quarterback injuries, Ryan Tannehill, they bring in Brock Osweiler. That's not a big differential. And you go from Andy Dalton to Jeff Driscoll, that's not a big differential. So it's been high-end quarterback play all season, and especially, like you said, 
the high-octane offense with the stationary quarterbacks, your Jared Goffs, your Matt Ryans, if they can stay upright and healthy, then that makes a huge difference. I mean, imagine if you put Sean Mannion in that offense. Now, I've heard that it doesn't matter, that whoever's calling the plays for the Rams, he's all that matters, Sean McVay, and they could have anybody taking snaps under center. And as long as Sean McVay is in his helmet that voice is there the voice of god calling plays then sean Mannion will execute that offense just as well as jared goff bullshit you put <laughs> sean Mannion in there i believe that system would be severely degraded in los angeles jared goff deserves more credit sean mcveigh deserves less that's the most important lesson i've learned in my history analyzing football that coach-centric analysis is not the way to go coaching matters it matters on the margins, but if your analysis starts with coaching, then you're doing it wrong. What's the lesson that you've learned in the past year that's helped you the most? I agree with everything you said, man. It's about uh, it's about the Jims and Joes, not the X's and O's, I think, as they like to say. But uh, the one lesson I've learned a lot this year, man, speed kills. Kills in the NFL, kills in basically any job, any wake of life. I mean, just be faster because faster, a lot of times, it's better. It's not better if you're messing up, but... I mean, show me one situation where someone doing their job and anything faster is ever a worse thing. I feel like our whole lives, it's take your time, no rush, this and that. I mean, you do that, that's fine, but you're going to get beat by someone that's faster and by someone that's better than you. So, you know, specifically NFL, we have seen kind of Brandon Cooks and this new breed of kind of pure speed receivers emerge as the kind of, I think, modern number one receiver. These guys like Alshon Jeffrey, you know, Des Bryant was out of the league for a while. These kind of old school number ones that just need a consistent supply of jump balls, I don't think carry the same weight because it's harder. It's harder to ask the quarterbacks to throw all the way outside the numbers to a guy that's already basically covered and you just got to trust it. It's much easier to throw Brandon Cooks when he's already 10 yards past the deepest guy in the field. So uh, from that standpoint, definitely. And then, yeah, just, you know, being a, a better fantasy analyst, being a better whatever the hell your job is, just, you know, do it faster, do it better. And I think uh, you'll see the results. So. Look at the value that you could have mined on draft day just in seasonal leagues with Tyler Lockett, with Emmanuel Sanders. It's not just the high-end wide receivers that are exceeding expectations like Brandon Cooks and Tyreek Hill. It was the value wide receivers later in the draft like Emmanuel Sanders, like Chris Godwin, DJ Moore, that are faster than their contemporaries. That was a great source of value on draft day. Now, Mitchell Trubisky has actually appeared in more millionaire maker winning lineups than Patrick Mahomes this season because of his rushing equity. Does that make sense to you? I think it's surprising, but not only his rushing equity, I think uh, looking at these quarterbacks that do have rushing equity and also have the ability for passing upside. Because I mean, we look at Josh Allen and if, if things go great, you know, maybe he gets you 200 passing yards. But this Bears passing offense is actually legit. I mean, even if Allen Robinson isn't the same kind of beast he was two years ago, he's still solid. Taylor Gabriel's, you know, got enough speed to stretch the field. Anthony Miller, you know, in my opinion, might be the best overall receiver there. Trey Burton's, uh, you know, very uh, solid receiving tight end. And we've seen Tariq Cohen just you know, really go off all season, man. <laughs> the Tariq Cohen wheel route, man. I love it. It's unstoppable. He always squeezes the football on that wheel route. It's the same route that James White so often drops. 
Tariq uh-huh. Cohen always squeezes that football. Oh man, it, it was a uh, yeah. He he was killing Detroit on that wheel route. I remember. Uh, I think in Evan uh, Silva's matchup column, he mentioned the Rams would probably look to go go to that early, and it was like the second play of the game or something. You saw Gurley kind of get a jet sweep and go for that real wheel route. So, but yeah, man, look like Matt Nagy is one of these coaches where he is able to help kind of elevate the ceiling of these players. Like you said, I mean, I'm sure, look, you, you replace Mitch Trubisky with Chase Daniel. The offense isn't even close to as good or as explosive, but, you know, he has still proven, I think, when you see these games and these teams that have these different week-to-week strategies, uh, it makes sense, I think, that the ceiling for the quarterback would be higher because you have a coach actively trying to exploit mismatches, which, you know, should be what they all do. And in DFS, all it takes is 10 rushing yards to get a point. And rushing touchdowns count for six as opposed to passing touchdowns, which only count for four. That's why Derek Carr actually showed up at the top of a millionaire maker winning lineup at one point this year because he had zero rushing yards with a rushing touchdown, right? That's a riddle. How do you have zero rushing yards and a rushing touchdown? Well, he loses yards usually when he tries to rush. And then this one time he got that six and that was enough to put him over the top. So you have to have the prolific passing game. And then you add rushing production on top. That's how you win people a million dollars. So I am more appreciative of the Konami Code quarterback's upside. I knew it's what you need to play in cash games, providing that stable floor that you're looking for. But it's the appreciation of the Konami Code in GPPs that's slowly sinking in throughout this season for me. Yeah, I think that's a good point, man. I kind of had a similar thought. Earlier in the season, I found myself just really targeting uh, mostly Russian quarterbacks. I think it was like Saints uh, Falcons had a shootout pretty early on where I didn't have uh, any Matt Ryan or Drew Brees, and these guys were throwing four or five touchdowns. You need to have those guys. But, man, if there's any way to get that passing upside with a dude that also gives you the rushing floor, there's not a better guy to target in GPPs. And we'll talk about him later, but this is the week. If you're going to play a quarterback naked, this would be the week. In tournaments, screw the quarterback-wide receiver correlation Go with Lamar Jackson and then just play your favorite upside value wide receivers. If there's a week, this is the week to play Lamar Jackson as naked as you want to be. Because there's no tight end you want to play him with. Maybe John Brown. Maybe that would be the one wide receiver you could say, hey, you can get John Brown close to 4K on DraftKings. It's going to happen for him eventually. He's not going to have zero fantasy points in three consecutive weeks. This might be the week to do that, but you don't need to. You don't need to chase John Brown to get that correlation. Just play Lamar Jackson and the best possible wide receiver configuration that you can come up with. Now, is Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill a quarterback wide receiver correlation stack that you would play this week or is that just too contrarian for you i think we've seen the ceilings of these guys are just too high to really fully fade them in a week i mean usually i'm kind of making uh this year i'm kind of doing like 20 to 30 gpp lineups per week and you know i've had the chiefs and at least you know a percentage of those every single week it's a tough matchup man but My biggest concern really is what we see out of this Ravens uh, team now with an actual like worthwhile opponent because we've seen them with Lamar against the Bengals, the Raiders, and the Falcons. I mean, we couldn't ask for a better start for Lamar, and they've been able to control these games. They've been able to get up. They've been able to run the ball. I don't think that's going to happen against the Chiefs. I think they're going to have to score, and this Chiefs defense at home, they're a problem. I mean, look, they've only given up, I believe, more than 23 points once at Arrowhead since week one of last season. And, you know, Lamar, God bless him, 18 rush attempts per game. 
there's nothing to hate on that with fantasy. I mean, that's just anything that gives you passing is going to be a positive. He's already given you enough as a rusher as it is. So uh, I'm, I'm with you there. But I don't know if they're going to be able to keep scoring with the Chiefs. And, you know, Ravens defense looked amazing last week. But if Jimmy Smith keeps playing at this level, they're going to be a real problem. But I don't think he's going to be shattering Tyree Kill. Uh, he plays too much in the slot, plays too much in the backfield. So the problem is Marlon Humphrey is also a top five cornerback. Yeah, but this I don't, even the top five, the top five guys, I just think the Chiefs offense is too good to stop. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be able to uh, get away from the Chiefs just because this matchup, especially if uh, Lamar is not going to be able to kind of hold the ball and maybe keep that defense off the field as much as we've seen. My guy is Travis Kelsey this week. The rule of thumb this year is you got to get exposure to the Chiefs, especially in a shootout. But even in this game, they're still going to be getting top five implied points on the slate. You got to get some exposure to the Chiefs. And the easiest way to get exposure at value is with Travis Kelsey. Because somehow, some way, they continue to underprice him. He needs to be priced like Gronk was priced in previous seasons. But he's not. This week, 6700 on DraftKings. While the Ravens are stifling to opposing wide receivers... They allow plenty of fantasy points to opposing tight ends, so I believe that's where the ball is going to be funneled into the middle of the field this week, and that means all the Travis Kelsey. Because they're facing the Ravens, that will suppress his ownership slightly. I pay all the way up or pay all the way down at tight end, and, and this is a pay-up week to get Travis Kelsey so I don't have to worry about going out to the extreme outer limits of contrarianism and stacking Mahomes and Hill. Hey, we're talking about going all the way up and all the way down. Why not go both? I mean, take your cheap tight end, throw him in your tight end slot. Look, Travis Kelsey and, and Zach Ertz, too, they are just number one receivers. Remove the tight end designation. I mean, Travis Kelsey is the Chiefs' number one receiver in targets. Ertz is the Eagles' number one receiver in targets. We just call them tight ends. Travis Kelsey is scoring 21.7 fantasy points per game. I know that's not an advanced metric. It's a very basic stat, right? But look at that and then look at the receivers. Look at the points per game for the wide receivers in that mid-6K price tier. It's 17, 14, 14, 17, 17. You're getting four additional fantasy points per game for the dollar in Travis Kelsey just because he has a TE next to his name. That doesn't make sense. Music to my ears, man. I couldn't agree with you more, man. I think these tight end ones that are their team's number one receiver are a pricing loophole in DraftKings right now and, you know, maybe across the industry too. Yeah, just keep playing Travis Kelsey. Hope you played Travis Kelsey like we told you to play him last week. Now, are too many DFS grinders looking past Alvin Kamara this week based on the fluctuating opportunity share? Because they're playing the Buccaneers. I mean, this is the smash spot to play Alvin Kamara, and yet his price is coming down, and there's just not enough conversations that I'm hearing about Alvin Kamara. It's very weird. Yeah, I'm curious to see where uh, kind of the ownership projections are going to wind up on him, because I think you're right. I mean, I get it. McCaffrey, Barkley, Gurley, Zeke, these guys have true the most true three-down roles you can basically have in the league. I mean, no one else is touching those. But, man, Kamara, even if he's only getting 60 70% touches and snaps in the Saints offense, like you said, man, this is like the Nirvana of running back matchups at this point. It is. And he's outside the top five projected ownership percentage on Roto Grinders. He's behind Jalen Samuels, Aaron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, Jeff Wilson, and Saquon Barkley, and Christian McCaffrey. Elliott, McCaffrey, and Barkley, because they're operating in true alpha bell cow roles— they are surpassing 
Alvin Kamara in ownership, even in a week where Alvin Kamara is priced under them facing the Buccaneers. And look, I mean, I know last week the big story with the Buccaneers rightfully was how banged up their secondary is, but this whole, this whole defense has been trash all year, and now they're basically playing their backups that weren't good enough to play over the trash starters. They lost Quan Alexander and really promising rookie Jack Sitchi to uh, season-ending knee injuries in Week 7. Since then, they have allowed 119, 138, 179, 116, 163, 148, and 168 rushing yards. Everyone can run on them. Everyone is running on them. They got Levante David back next week, but... I mean, this is Kamara's best running spot of the year, and you know he already has one of the highest receiving uh, floor ceiling combos we can hope for. So, I mean, you know, Ingram, it'd be great if Ingram wasn't involved again. Weeks one through four were pretty great for uh, Kamara owners, but look, I mean, like you said, man, match up, and if we can get this uh, reduced ownership off those top guys, give me all the Kamara. Alvin Kamara is my lock button running back this week, and when I say he's the lock button, he's the one running back that I have the most difficulty pivoting out of in tournaments. For every other player on the slate, it's easier for me to find alternative lineups without that player included. With Alvin Kamara, it's almost impossible for me to come up with a superior alternative lineup. Every lineup looks so much better with Alvin Kamara in it. He's the lock button for me this week. Who's your lock button running back? Yeah, right now I'm I'm, I'm looking at locking in one of these cheaper guys and with I'm seeing Jalen Samuels, you know, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So I no, oh no, no, don't fall for it, Ian. Oh, I'm not. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. You're talking about free squares. You're talking about Jalen Samuels. I'm afraid you're going to say the name Jeff Wilson next. <laughs> These are free square running backs that are absolutely incredible values, but they still have ambiguous opportunity shares. These are not lock button running backs. Would you consider Aaron Jones a lock button running back? Not okay. I, I got a good lock run. I got a good lock button running back for you, Austin Eckler down at sixty two hundred. Yes, that's it. Yeah, because I look. I mean, this is a guy. Even though uh, Justin Jackson got going last week, get out of here with Justin Jackson. I love saying the name Justin Jackson. Hey man, look, he, he made good use of his carries and stuff, but this is still two games now without Melvin Gordon that we've seen Eckler work as the undisputed three down guy. Uh, you know, snap share is just out the roof and now look we're getting this Bengals defense that is quite possibly the worst one in the league traveling all the way across the country I mean we saw what Philip Lindsay did last week uh you know to see Austin Eckler somehow now priced beneath Lindsay uh yeah that's my lock button guy that's it so many lineups this week on the DFS lineup genius on playerprofiler.com will feature Eckler and Alvin Kamara. So we talk about the free square running backs on Roto Grinders, their projected ownership tool. Jalen Samuels is at 35% projected ownership. Jeff Wilson, 22.5. Who you got between Jalen Samuels and Jeff Wilson as your favorite free square running back this week? Whew. I'm going Jeff Wilson because I think we're getting about half the ownership we're going to get with Samuels. Um, look, it's Kyle Shanahan's RB1. And if there's one thing we should trust in life, it's Kyle Shanahan's RB1. I just want to, like, look, we've seen so many of these guys, Alfred Morris, even, you know, Philip Lindsay, just these undrafted or lower round, uh, you know, Josh Adams in Philly this year. Good running backs. There's nothing wrong with these guys. They've come in, they're, they're balling out, they're proving everything. That's great. But then we, we look at it and we go, how did no one draft this guy? How did Josh Adams and Philip Lindsay go undrafted? How did all 32 teams mess up? I don't know. Maybe it's because there's a ton of these guys out there that, you know, maybe there's five more Josh Adams that just aren't getting 20 carries a game. So, 
I mean, good for them for balling out, but I feel like we they find these diamonds in the rough, unquote. But, like, look, there's a lot more diamonds uh, in the rough for running backs than there are for wide receivers. So maybe just – Which is why running back doesn't matter. Yeah, so, I mean, you're not going to find maybe your Zeke and uh, Todd Gurley at the end of the draft, but we've seen enough of these still really capable guys that – Maybe we should uh, start targeting that a little more. But, yeah, I mean, look, I don't have anything incredible to say about Jeff Wilson, but if he's getting Nobody 15 does. carries, yeah, if he's getting Nobody 15 does, carries a game, nine targets. There's not a person on planet Earth. <laughs> we interviewed Jeff Wilson's mother. <laughs> she couldn't really find any compelling reason to play him other than his low salary on DraftKings. She kept going back to points per dollar, and I was like, you got anything else, Mrs. Wilson? And she said, nah, not really. <laughs> With that said, though, I, I mean, I like Samuels. I, I think the Ridley talk is a, a little crazy. Since he's been there, he's just been that guy where, look, they're playing the Browns in week 17. Let's give Ridley 15 carries. And if he gets hurt, who, who fucking cares? So I think Samuels, your worst case scenario there is he's going to be the pass down guy with uh, Roethlisberger, which, hey, I mean, if we if we knew it was going to be a committee, we want the pass down guy. We don't know it's going to be a committee. We should probably target the pass down guy. <laughs> right, exactly. The reason why I'm going Samuels over Wilson in all formats is because I'm not sure about this matchup. Lately, the Denver Broncos' rush defense has been much improved from what we saw early in the season. They held James Conner under 60 yards. They did not allow 100 yards to Gordon and Eckler combined. They did not allow 100 rushing yards to Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard combined in consecutive weeks. So they've been playing well the last three weeks. And I'm just not sure what Wilson's opportunity share is going to look like. It's just as ambiguous between Wilson, Alfred Morris, and Kyle Juszczyk as it is in Pittsburgh with Jalen Samuels and Stephen Ridley. Give me the better player. Jalen Samuels, unlike Jeff Wilson, has impressive metrics. 105.9, 81st percentile speed score, an above-average burst and agility, and the incredible receiving skills out of the backfield. So he has a true every-down bell cow profile in the NFL. You can't say that about Jeff Wilson, who's a sub-athlete, and he really is a cardboard cutout baseline running back that you would just slide in there to just get through the season and maybe play him against one of the league's worst rush defenses like if they were playing the Bengals but they're not they're playing the Broncos so for that reason I'm off Jeff Wilson I'm on Jalen Samuels but you mentioned Philip Lindsay earlier is playing Philip Lindsay this week point chasing it is a little bit. I mean, I, I was all over Lindsay last week and big reason was because I thought we were finally finally seeing the Broncos just make Lindsay their lightning and Freeman their thunder. And that's fine if Lindsay's, you know, the 1A to the 1B, but just give me those two running backs. Get Devontae Booker out of here. He played a season low six snaps in week 12. I thought this was going to be a thing. It was going to be great, but no, he comes back. He plays 13 snaps in week 13. He had more combined targets too than Lindsay and Freeman who combined for just one. So they're not, none of them are getting used that much in the passing game anyway. But this still is an annoying three-headed committee. They're not giving it all to Lindsey just yet. He's he's still a pretty good bet for 15-plus touches per game. Obviously a great player, but now we know that great player is 6,300 on DraftKings when he was 5,400. The opportunity share for Philip Lindsay will likely be lower this week than Austin Eckler, and they're priced the same. Yeah, It's recency bias driving so many DFS grinders into the arms of Philip Lindsay and away from the bosom they should be targeting, Austin Eckler. And this is coming from someone with the name Tits. 
I love Austin Eckler, man, this week. He's uh he's gonna get it done. But I will say this, man, if we want to think about who these running backs are that had Lindsay's price tag last week that could maybe be like him. How about some LaShawn McCoy? We getting a little bit shady this week. He's uh going back home, tore up this Jets D last time and I mean, I know Josh Allen's stealing plenty of uh, rush attempts, but look, Shady's still averaging 19.2 touches per game uh, since he came back from injury in week eight. And I mean, I said the home away splits, but seriously, since he joined Buffalo, 19.9 DraftKings points per game at home, 13.9 the road. So these have been real. And I mean, speaking of defenses that don't scare us at all, oh boy, this. <laughs> remember when we used to worry about the Jets' defensive line and they just got rid of all their good players, basically? I mean, let's attack that all week. Find me a player in the player pool with a more damaged brand than LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> LaShawn McCoy's projected ownership is well outside the top 10 on Roto-Grinders this week, and it doesn't make sense based on the home matchup against the Jets. If you drafted LaShawn McCoy in seasonal leagues, and many people did in the third round, you drafted him for this game. First of all, you probably weren't even thinking to be healthy at this point in the season. That he'd be suffering some knee sprain, high ankle sprain, groin injury, the various maladies that affect LaShawn McCoy every season. But no, he's as healthy as he's ever been in a Week 14 matchup. And it's as friendly of a matchup as he's ever faced in a Week 14 showdown. It's just that his brand is so damaged. But if there's a player that can persevere through injuries and a fluctuating supporting cast throughout a season essentially one of the most demoralizing seasons for a demoralized franchise well it's LaShawn McCoy this is what he does he has experience being a bill no one else can be a bill better than LaShawn McCoy at this point he's going to go out there and exceed expectations this week and it's a beautiful contrarian play because you only need a couple low-owned players in your lineup it's a fallacy you need to chase a lot of contrarian plays in tournaments you don't just have a couple players that are low owned and you're done you're good you're not gonna have to cut it up with anyone else now we talked about satellite backs what if i told you that more satellite backs are showing up in flex in tournament lineups on DraftKings this year than ever before i think it makes sense man uh look and one of the things uh on the action network nfl podcast every sunday night uh myself and chris raybon uh, one of the things we break down is the winning millionaire maker lineup and uh, trends we've kind of noticed throughout this year is one, like you just said, you don't need to be contrarian throughout your entire lineup, especially at the running back spot. Cause look, it's easier to predict running back workloads than it is wide receiver workloads. When we have these running backs that are getting six to eight or more targets per game, I mean, you're, you're basically getting a wide receiver that also happens to, you know, line up in the backfield and get a uh, 10 or more rushes. You could either get just targets or you can get targets and carries, Ian. It's like the Russian quarterback. I mean, it's, it's like two positions in the one, and we're just allowed to play these guys over these one-dimensional plotters. So it, it makes perfect sense to me, man. I mean, even in the flex, I mean, I think these satellite backs should be showing up all over the lineup. What about David Johnson? What's wrong with David Johnson, and are you playing him this week? Because he's a satellite back plus, man. Yeah. He personifies everything we love about the running backs, getting opportunities all over the field, winning in all phases. This is what David Johnson does. I mean, apparently, if Chase Edmonds is going to keep vulturing him, that's not going to help matters. I mean, last uh, it was only like five carries last week, and two of them went for touchdowns. It was absurd, but it, it doesn't seem like a... I mean, they're not actively pulling out DJ around the five-yard line, I think, to get Edmonds touches. Or I, I sincerely hope Byron Leftwich won't be doing that. 
But it's just it's going to be t- I mean, whenever Josh Rosen and I think he can be fine in the future. Sure. But like, no, Christian Kirk's out now, too. It's just a really bad, slow offense. And it's tough for DJ to get going when he's just continually the focal point of every defense he's going to face. I mean, I think Byron Leftwich is doing things a little bit better than Mike McCoy, but neither of those guys are Bruce Arians. And we know we haven't seen uh, DJ kind of get unleashed still. We've been waiting. I know he had like a 50 yard touchdown good call back a couple weeks ago. He's, uh, you know, he's on the doorstep. And hey, maybe this week against the Lions, uh, like Gurley just did, he can get going. But it's just, it's just tough to predict, man. I mean, this is the week, right? Home game against the Lions. We talked about. This is why you drafted LaShawn McCoy in the first place, to play him at home against the Jets. Well, this is why you drafted David Johnson in the first place, to play him at home against the Lions. This is the week, if there's going to be a week, and the DFS pros know this. He's top 10 in projected ownership this week on Roto-Grinders projected ownership tool, so I'm not the only one (laughs) who's looking at David Johnson and looking at Alvin Kamara and going, you know, guys... That's Alvin Kamara, and that's David Johnson, and they're just too cheap. Yeah, if, if you're, this is the week to play David Johnson for sure. I'm with you there. And look, like lines been better since adding Damon Harrison, but it, you know it's it's only one guy still, so it, it's more than enough. Just you know, Damon Harrison's going to take some snaps off. DJ and company were able of uh, beating this Lions defense, even if they have been better against the run, you know, in the last eight weeks or so. And no one's saying you play David Johnson in cash games. No one's saying you play LaShawn McCoy in cash games. You don't need to play those guys when we have these elite bell cow backs at the top, like Ezekiel Elliott, like Saquon Barkley, like Christian McCaffrey sitting in smash spots, and you have these free squares down at the bottom in Jalen Samuels at 3,700. No one would play David Johnson in cash. No one's saying do that. But in a tournament, when you want to invest in more upside at wide receiver to get to Kenny Galladay, well, you got to make some sacrifices in other areas of your lineup. And by moving down from Ezekiel Elliott to David Johnson, you free up salary, but you don't necessarily give away any upside because it's David Johnson! <laughs> I think everyone's kind of... And for look, cash games, stars and scrubs uh, strategy makes a lot of sense, but I, a real good way of you know getting these uh, less chalky lineups is attacking kind of these stars that happen to have middling price tags like your David Johnsons and LaShawn McCoy's. Now, maybe they won't be the... Uh, 80% consistency star that we see girl in MB, but again, we're just looking for one week tournament guys. So that's absolutely it. And, and the guy that seems to personify everything, he has the bell cow profile. He has the elite skills. He's demonstrating an elite skill set week in, week out. And he's not quite priced in the same echelon as the Ezekiel Elliott's and the Saquon Barkley's. And that's Aaron Jones. Of the elite running backs, and I would consider him elite at this point, he has the highest projected ownership on Roto-Grinders. Only Jalen Samuels is projected to be higher owned this week than Aaron Jones. Is Aaron Jones elite? I don't know. I couldn't make an argument that he's not, man. Yeah, Aaron Jones is elite. What else do you want the guy to do? He's averaging a league high, 5.6 yards per carry since he entered the league. I know the big like knock on him going into this year was that Jamal Williams was the better pass blocker and all that. But, you know, we've kind of seen those metrics uh, reverse course a little bit. I mean, Jones is getting better. He's dropped some passes. He's not com- a completely polished three down back yet, but just get the guy the ball and look what he can do. I mean, I was looking at his uh, player profiler on your site. Number nine in production premium, number two in two yards per carry, number eight in yards per touch. 
you know, if a running back's got an elite skill set and got elite numbers, well, damn, I think he's an elite running back. That's it. He's translating athletic gifts, the upper percentile burst and agility into on-field production and efficiency. That's the definition of an elite playmaker at the NFL level, and that's what Aaron Jones is. It's a fact. And the beauty is the first year these players demonstrate this ability, it takes all season for these daily fantasy platforms to price them up fully. So you get value week after week on these players as their salary rises incrementally from 57 to 61, from 61 to 66, from 66 to 71, from 71 to 76. You're playing them every week all the way up until week 17. The DFS platforms finally have them priced in the echelon where they belong, and you've been playing them at great value every single week. Who's the next Aaron Jones? What's the under-the-radar running back that fantasy gamers should be stashing in hopes of getting that kind of return at some point, maybe even week 16, week 17? One guy that I haven't heard get the same kind of handcuff talk that I have for other guys is Rod Smith uh, with the Cowboys. Look, I mean, we saw Zeke go down last year, and Rod was kind of in a little bit of a committee uh, at first with Alfred Morris, but we saw Rod Smith break out of that. And when he was even in that committee, he was still at least the pass down guy. So really big back. I mean, he was killing it at Ohio State. He was actually with Zeke at Ohio State as well. I mean, talented, big guy that can catch the ball. So if Zeke does go down, we have proven history that Smith will be the guy that steps in and gets that three down roll. Cause I mean, look, if you're not target, some of these running backs are great and all, but you know, uh, if they're a, Use the use, uh, term satellite plus back. Sometimes they're just a satellite back. So if their starter gets hurt, their their role doesn't change. Zeke Elliott gets hurt. Rod Smith is all of a sudden a three down back. I mean, he is the guy. So uh, who's yours? Well, we had a handful of offenses that have true handcuff backs on the roster. These are workhorses in waiting in offenses that either offer prolific volume or prolific efficiency. And we've already seen running backs on those teams go down. Melvin Gordon goes down, in steps Austin Eckler. James Conner goes down, in steps Jalen Samuels. Kareem Hunt goes down, in steps Spencer Ware. We have two more left. One of them is in Dallas, where you have the prolific volume. The other one is in Los Angeles, where you have the prolific efficiency, not the Chargers, the Rams. And who just went out for the year? Malcolm Brown. Who's behind Malcolm Brown? John Kelly. Who to draft Nick's love coming into the NFL draft this season? John Kelly. Now, John Kelly's not an elite athlete, but he's a hard runner with an every-down skill set. And most importantly, he was a target magnet out of the backfield at Tennessee. So it's either going to be Rod Smith or John Kelly that you need to stash just in case Gurley or Elliott go down in the next two weeks, and then you have a production boon waiting on your bench. Now, I'm not saying handcuff running backs on draft day in August, but when you're heading into the playoffs and your starting lineup is pretty much set, use the back of your bench to grab the highest upside running back if things break right. Now, the reason why I believe John Kelly is a better stash than Rod Smith is because there is a chance that if the Saints lose one more game and the Rams continue to win, that they will have no incentive to play their starters, not in Week 17, in Week 16. If the Rams have no incentive to play their starters in Week 16, that means Todd Gurley may only play a half of football in the championship week 
for fantasy football, which may be devastating. What you would hope for is you pick up John Kelly and they come out and say, no, Gurley's not playing at all. Then you can just swap in John Kelly. If Todd Gurley plays a half, that's going to be particularly devastating. A shout out to uh, Bill Barnwell for calling this uh, Rams kind of potentially clinching uh, early. I think he called like in week 10 or 11. So kudos there. But I just want to know what your thoughts are. So let's assume the Rams do clinch. It's week 16. Gurley isn't playing. Do you, would you immediately value John Kelly as you know in that RB1, RB2 tier, even if we know he's going to be surrounded by backups? Only because Malcolm Brown is gone. Okay. If Malcolm Brown were there, I actually wouldn't love Malcolm Brown as much, not because John Kelly is more skilled, and I do believe in a vacuum John Kelly is more skilled, but because I believe there would be committee. I think they would break it down 60-40. But without Malcolm Brown, he's going to be the engine of that offense. And what is so often overlooked, team by team, talk about the Chiefs, talk about the Steelers, now the Chargers. What's different in Los Angeles with both the Chargers and the Rams? What has changed in the last two years? Is it the big coaching change? Oh, the genius comes riding in in Sean McVay. No, what we've seen in both Los Angeles teams, Chargers and Rams, is a rebuilding of the offensive line. If you see a team experience a resurgence, the place to look first is not at the coaching staff, it's the offensive line. That's generally the engine behind the improvement. No better example this season than the Chargers and the efficiency that we're seeing from Melvin Gordon for the first time in his NFL career. The same is true with the Rams. It's no coincidence that the year that Sean McVay splashed down into the league and became the it coach in the NFL was the same year they significantly upgraded their offensive line. It's just a lot easier for beat writers and national football writers and broadcasters to talk about the coach than it is to talk about the left tackle. The narrative just flows much more easily talking about Sean McVay than it does Andrew Whitworth. So the reason why I would play John Kelly as an RB1 is because I believe that system is one of the best systems across the NFL, and they would play the majority of their offensive linemen. You can't just go out there with all backup offensive linemen. That's not going to work. The offense would still be functional. So I still think that John Kelly would be not an RB1, but an RB2 in fantasy football in Week 16. Yeah, I mean, if we can get the offensive line confirmed, that would definitely be my biggest worry. So I am with you there. If they're benching their whole offensive line, then okay. Okay, you got me. Okay, (laughs) he becomes a flex option. But assuming they have remnants of their offensive line, which is one of the best in football, then there you go. I mean, you wonder how did James Conner do this? How did he replace Le'Veon Bell one for one? Well, who has one of the best run-blocking units in the NFL? The Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not hard, man, to figure this out. I saw Ross, they asked Rothsburg today, they go, what are you guys going to do about the running game? And he goes, well, you know, we still got our linemen here. I think we'll be okay. It's like, yeah, guys, come on. Antonio Brown's still there, too. That helps. Yeah. Is Antonio Brown still the best receiver in the league? I'm going to say not the best, but look, I mean, this reduced version of AB is still easily a top, you know, 5'10 guy. I mean, I... I 510 you would you're hedging on top five i go top five that's my bad but look i mean i know there's this narrative that and look it's true i think rossberger's thrown something like 10 interceptions targeting ab this year the tart the yards per target is brutal in his camp i mean he's slowing down for sure but 
he's still getting so many freaking targets. It doesn't matter. I think he's only going to get more, man. I mean, I looked at uh, games that Le'Veon Bell missed from 2015 to 2017. A.B. has at least 10 targets in every single game that Bell missed. I mean, we're just going to see. Samuels will get some uh, you know, work on the ground. They're not going to abandon the run game, but I think we're just going to see a more pass-happy offense that could potentially uh, lead to a bigger breakout for A.B., I, I'm going to go with OBJ as my best receiver in the league, though. No one scores touchdowns better. I know he's got a bunch of BS on the sidelines. and you know, he He's not the guy you want out there to recover your onside kick in the big moment of the game. But damn it, man, there is not a single person in this league better at getting the ball into the end zone than Odell Beckham Jr. And that's the whole point of the game. So I, I'm taking OBJ. I am allergic to playing wide receivers over 8K in DFS, generally speaking. But if there was ever a reason to pay up for wide receiver this week, it would be Antonio Brown at Oakland with no James Conner. And at 9K as the most expensive wide receiver on DraftKings, his ownership will not be as high as it should be because... I'm not the only one that bristles at the idea of playing the most expensive wide receiver on the slate, but this is the week to do that. Odell Beckham Jr., what if he had a quarterback? What if the Rams had traded for Odell Beckham Jr. instead of Brandon Cooks? I think we'd be talking about the MVP frontrunner. No, I don't know about that, but... He's amazing, man. Look, he scored 44 touchdowns in 59 games. I mean, I just – look, Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins, these guys, they're awesome too. But it, the touchdown numbers, it's – A.B. is the only guy that's close to OBJ in touchdowns. I think A.B. still got the lead since uh, they both came in the league together. But, I mean, to me, those guys are one too. So you mentioned Julio Jones. He's not in the top five wide receiver salaries on DraftKings this week, and I don't understand why he's facing the Packers. Can you explain this? I don't get it either, man. I was on him last week because his salary was low. Obviously, that didn't work out, but now we're substituting the Ravens for the freaking Packers. So uh, matchup concerns are out the window. It's not like we've never seen Julio just torch the Packers. I mean, come on. We saw him go for 180 yards and two touchdowns in that uh, NFC Championship game. He's gone off for over 200 yards against them before. Over 100 yards in three of his five matchups against the Packers. I wouldn't call this... I like Yair Alexander, some of these new guys the Packers have brought in, but... They're rookies, man. After they moved Tremont Williams to safety, they've been starting all rookies and second-year cornerbacks in that secondary. You don't think Julio Jones can have his way with a rookie cornerback? Well, and look, look, this is recency bias. The last time he was held under 20 receiving yards per game, the next week, he went for 300 against the Panthers. I mean... Look, Julio had six straight 100-yard games before this. The guy's playing great football all season, so... Oh, it's in Green Bay, though. Oh, oh man. Oh, no, the snow. The snow is what can stop Julio Jones, right? What do you think about this game as a shootout kind of overall? Love this game. This is one of those games to chase. Pretty much, I like games in Oakland, and that's Raiders-Steelers. Mm. I like any game featuring the Buccaneers, and I like any game featuring two of the top quarterbacks in the league. And those are the three games that I like this week. It's Packers, Falcons, it's Raiders, Steelers, and it's Buccaneers and whoever the hell the Buccaneers are playing. Oh, this week they happen to be playing the Saints. (laughs) 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 No, but I think this uh, Packers-Falcons game could be the under-owned shootout. Yeah, the sneaky shootout of the week. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the over-under has already increased from 47.5 to 49.5, so people are obviously expecting some points. Uh, down down the desert so we will see what happens 
New coach in Green Bay. Oh, man. This is going to be great. I'm excited. So, given that, let's do a game. Contrived dichotomy. So I'm going to modulate my voice, and it's going to be even cooler than what it was non-modulated, which was also very cool. Agreed. Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins? Julio Jones. I don't think we're seeing the same DeAndre Hopkins. Look, unless Will Fuller is there to take away attention, I don't think any safety has worried about Demarius Thomas's long speed in years. So at this point, I mean, I don't think we can look at Hopkins as having this same week-breaking ceiling that we've seen in the past. He's now played 11 games without Will Fuller over the last two seasons. He's had under 100 yards in nine of those games. In 11 games with Fuller, Hopkins has four touchdowns. In 16 games with Fuller, he has 17 touchdowns. The presence of Fuller reduces Hopkins' target share. So Hopkins becomes less attractive in cash games. But the presence of Will Fuller also unlocks Hopkins' upside. It raises his ceiling. So you don't play him in GPPs knowing he's going to see bracket coverage. And sure, a pass will be completed, but he's going to be hit immediately. Unlike in Atlanta, where Calvin Ridley is keeping safeties honest and giving Julio Jones the ability to run after the catch. Yeah, it's like we talked about at the beginning, man. I just think these speed receivers are replacing the possession guys as the guys that you want to just be targeting first and foremost. I mean, Hopkins makes some of the most ridiculous catches you'll see in any given week. It's amazing. But how many more of these, you know, 80, 70 to 90 yards, maybe he scores a touchdown, maybe he doesn't games, are we going to watch until we go, hey, you know what, maybe DeAndre Hopkins doesn't have the same ceiling as Julio Jones and Odell Beckham Jr. He's a magician-wide receiver. He makes impossible catches possible, but he also rarely goes over 100 yards. Yeah. He's not a fast guy. He's just one of, if not the best, possession receiver in the NFL, and that's not a guy I'm running out and rostering in tournaments. Now, Kenny Galladay or Amari Cooper? Uh, Kenny Galladay is my favorite play of the entire week because people are freaking out after last week's dud. And sure, there's pr- this Lions offense isn't pretty. That you know, there there's a low floor possibility here. I get that, but. Now he's going up against Patrick Peterson, and that's going to scare everyone because Peterson's been shadowing lately in the second half of the season. But look. <gasps> oh, no. He's shadowing. Oh, ah! oh no. <laughs> the 2018 Patrick Peterson shadow is not the same guy that we need to fear over these past five, six years. I think Peterson's still great. He's playing his own way. But look, the Cardinals run so much zone defense in this new scheme, and they don't tell Peterson to move into the slot. So look, we have – he faced Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. He shadowed them both. Those two receivers combined for three catches and 50 yards and no touchdowns against Peterson. In his coverage, in the games, Tyree Kill had 117 yards and two touchdowns. Devontae Adams had 93 yards and a touchdown. So that's great, Patrick. You're doing an awesome job of shutting down the guy in front of you, but they're not putting him in front of the number one receiver enough for it to matter. So Kenny Galladay, 41% slot rate over the last two weeks. It spiked with, uh, and I'm kind of realizing, hey, throwing three-yard duds to Bruce Ellington probably isn't the best way to make use of the slot receivers. So, yeah, I can't get enough of Kenny Galladay this week, man. I think, you know, and even if he does get Peterson on him, I think Galladay is one of these receivers where he's talented enough where you strip away his teammates, you strip away some of the other guys, and you add target volume. 
he's good enough to just make make it happen. So when you're looking at upside for the dollar, no one can compete with Traquan Smith and Cortland Sutton and Chris Godwin, anyone under 5K. But if you go over 5K on DraftKings, for example, I want Julio Jones, I want Kenny Galladay, I want Emmanuel Sanders. What do those guys have in common? Speed, 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 speed kills, man. Mm. Speaking of Emmanuel Sanders, go Emmanuel Sanders or Tyler Boyd? Definitely, Manny Sanders, man. I'm with you. Speed kills. But uh, yeah, I think t- t- Tyler Boyd's the guy where I was just mentioning Kenny Galladay. He can overcome these this extra attention and make good use of his targets. I don't think Tyler Boyd is one of those guys. I think uh, having A.J. Green really helps out Boyd. He doesn't get the safety help. He doesn't have to worry about the number one cornerback. And this matchup is just a brutal because Desmond King has been playing some of the best ball of the season among all cornerbacks, slot or outside. And then when Boyd does move outside, he's going to have to deal with Casey Hayward and everything he brings to the table, even if he's not quite as good as he was last year. We're still talking about two elite cornerbacks here. I will say the other guy in Denver. So Emmanuel Sanders popped up on the injury report last week with this heel thing. He wasn't listed, but he only played 68% of the snaps. <gasps> it's it's not time. I'm not saying just fade Emmanuel Sanders. I'm just keeping an eye on that. No, no, you don't have to fade him, but you can certainly throttle him in your tournament portfolios. I still like the pass offense, but let's also look at Cortland Sutton here. Uh, Richard Sherman does not move, and they have one of the league's biggest liabilities and Akil Witherspoon on the other side. So whenever we have these matchups against cornerbacks that don't move, it's so much easier to actually know uh, the mismatches we're going to get, and we can kind of better predict those. So we're looking at Sutton running at least 55% of his snaps against Witherspoon. And you know we saw Sutton start to get get after it last week. I mean, I think he does have the talent to make these big plays. Keenum's fine throwing him the ball downfield and stuff. So, again, a little concerned about the May Sanders snap rate, but I, I like both Sanders and Sutton this week. Boyd is a cash play. Emmanuel Sanders is a tournament play. But in cash games, you're paying down for wide receivers. You can get all the way up at running back. So Tyler Boyd is in that cash purgatory for wide receivers, and you just never end up playing him. Speaking of Cortland Sutton, you go Cortland Sutton over Traquan Smith this week? Yeah, I would, man. It's it's crazy, Traquan Smith's early uh, home-away splits. I'm not not saying the guy's uh, incapable of producing on the road. I mean, I know they played in Dallas, which is a dome, which, you know, isn't that much. uh... Well, they're going back to where he played in college this week. I did not know that storyline. That is fantastic. But all right, real quick. I mean, look, he's played four four road games now. He's gone 344-0, 318-0, and then just had two complete zero duds. If you crafted a game log in fiction for tournaments, it would be the Traquan Smith game log. It's crazy right now. But hey, man, that, that's awesome. He's going back to his uh, home turf. That is one hell of a storyline. <laughs> I'm with you. The wide receiver that's going to show up most frequently on the DFS lineup genius. We haven't even run the numbers yet, but I can already tell you it's going to be Cortland Sutton. Every week we tell you to play one Broncos wide receiver in tournaments. Just pick one, either Sanders or Sutton, Sanders or Sutton, because one of them goes off every week and you got to pick one. And I think this week it's most likely going to be Cortland Sutton. Now you also have to pick a Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver at value this week you're obliged to play either godwin or humphreys who you got oh definitely chris godwin i mean i I liked adam humphreys back when he was 3500 and all that but now we're acting like oh i I don't want to hate adam humphreys he's playing some good ball but i don't consider him in the same sphere of chris godwin as a wide receiver look godwin's bigger faster stronger he's better and if deshaun jackson 
Rumors are saying, you know, he can get shut down for the rest of the season. I mean, this, th- that just makes it a no-brainer to me. We've seen Goblin go for 98 yards, 111 yards in a touchdown, and 101 yards in a touchdown in three games with DJAC sideline over the past two years. Now, we talk about safety versus upside. You want stability in flex. If you think you're going to win the matchup, don't chase the ceiling. Just play the safe guy. Talk about that in cash games. So Adam Humphreys looks like the safe play. Adam Humphreys looks like the cash play this week. But here's where I would disagree. Upside matters. You never know what can happen. Last week, Drew Brees had less than 10 fantasy points. Who saw that coming? Nobody. You play to win the game. And that goes for someone who's a favorite in a seasonal league heading into a matchup. And it goes for cash games. You need upside in cash games to help bail you out. So I believe you play Chris Godwin over Adam Humphreys in all fantasy formats, all scenarios, because I think he gives you the target floor because he's a featured wide receiver in the most prolific offense, according to air yards, in the NFL. He's a featured weapon in a high air yard offense, and then he also has the 109.5 90th percentile speed score to drive up the drive the, to drive the upside that you're looking for that can bail you out in cash games if things aren't going well and in seasonal leagues when things aren't going well. Now, two wide receivers that I think are all about the upside, DJ Moore and Josh Gordon. Who you got? I'm going DJ Moore here. Uh, look, I mean, I love Flash Gordon. It's awesome the dude's been able to get back on a track, you know, doing some good things in New England. But uh, look, this is our kind of featured uh, kind of topic all day, speed versus uh, kind of this separation uh, or a guy that's struggling to separate. We've seen that with Flash Gordon. Look, uh, next-gen stats, they keep average uh, target separation at their target. And the lowest guys this year in average separation are Kelvin Benjamin, Allen Robinson, Larry Fitzgerald, David Moore, AJ Green, Josh Gordon, Mike Evans, and John Ross for some reason. So it's a bunch of these bigger, slower, physical guys that, yeah, look, you watch Josh Gordon, Brady will throw him the ball up. He makes some fantastic contested catches, but we haven't seen him rip off some of these, you know, 150 plus games we used to see, mostly because he doesn't seem to have that same upside available. DJ Moore, on the other hand, is, you know, I think the most electric guy in the Panthers, even more so than McCaffrey in terms of just pure speed and open field ability. I mean, he's a running back with the ball in his hands. We've seen him convert 11 carries into 150 rushing yards. There's nothing that I love more than wide receivers getting involved in the running game. And DJ Moore has been doing that. He's also been getting eight targets a game for the last three weeks. So even with bunches coming back, I think DJ Moore is going to be our number one guy. And hey, man, I called this on Player Profiler's world-famous draft kit this uh, offseason when I said he was the best wide receiver in this class, and I stand by every word. Teed you up for this one. (laughs) NFL.com's public enemy number one using a next-gen stat, and you don't have to. If you're boycotting the NFL like the NFL tried to boycott Ian Hartlett's, (laughs) <laughs> Go to Player Profiler, and you can see that we also have target separation. Ooh, I love it. And Josh Gordon's 1.1 yards of separation at target is number 90 in the NFL. Opposing cornerbacks are also not giving him any cushion whatsoever. He's outside the top 100 in cushion. What does that tell you? It tells you that he's not separating, just as you said, that he is more like Des Bryant at this point in his career, winning contested catches, than he is creating separation downfield. But I would argue that's never been Josh Gordon. He never ran a sub 4-5-40. The nickname Flash and some highlights from 2014 drove a perception of Josh Gordon, which is false. 
He's much closer to Des Bryant than he is Julio Jones, and that's why Player Profiler exists. Now, Player Profiler suggested that Devontae Parker and Josh Doxson would be quality NFL receivers. Neither has fired of the two who you got. Yeah, I mean, it was hard not to like these guys coming out just with how right? freaky athletic they're. It's not like these guys were trash receivers in college. I mean, they were prolific at Louisville and TCU. Six game stretch Parker had at Louisville was like some of the best production we've ever seen. It is same with Doxson at TCU, man. There was a, at one point Josh Doxson was on pace for 2,000 receiving yards. I wonder if he's ever even fully gotten back from that. Uh, I think it was an Achilles injury he had year one or something. But who, who really knows when Alex Smith and Mark Sanchez are throwing you the ball? So uh, I'm going with Devontae Parker this week. But if neither was a uh, uh, answer, I'd probably ride with that. I just think, you know, Ryan Tannehill over Mark Sanchez. But when I'm saying that, I'm saying, what question made me even say Ryan Tannehill and Mark Sanchez? But They're the same player, first of all. 7.8 fantasy points per game for both Doxon and Parker. That's hilarious. <laughs> Parker has the upside of the knucklehead factor. See, Josh Doxon is not a knucklehead. He's just bad. At least Devontae Parker has shown flashes and... The belief is that he's less efficient than he could be because he's drinking soda on the sidelines instead of water oh my God. and eating Skittles instead of energy bars. Like That's the problem with Devontae Parker. He's not devoted to the craft, which was the problem with Josh Gordon. So the thinking is you still target a Devontae Parker in Dynasty, thinking even next year, this far advanced into his career, the light could come on. I don't believe the light is ever going to come on for Josh Doxson. Parker, man, I was really hoping that he could be a guy that got traded at the deadline and we, you know, Go to I think Philly with Devontae Parker could have been better than Golden Tate because it's at least someone that has some speed on the outside and can uh, make you respect him deep. But uh, enough talk of Devontae Parker for one day. In fairness to both, we've not seen either player paired with a quality quarterback. We had one season of Josh Doxson with Kirk Cousins in which he wasn't fully healthy. So that's it. That's all we got. Meanwhile, they're the Spider-Man meme. They're the same <laughs> fucking guy. Now, what about Zay Jones versus Mike Williams? I'm going Zay Jones here. Uh, I was I, I like Mike Williams, but once again, I'm just one of these guys that isn't really uh, separating all that much, and that's just kind of his game. And we've seen the Chargers almost kind of get into our minds here and see that, hey, maybe having a guy that isn't going to run by a cornerback isn't the best guy to have on the field when we're trying to space the whole field. So whenever Travis Benjamin and Tyrell Williams are both healthy, we're seeing – Basically, Benjamin and Mike Williams split snaps. Mike comes in in the red zone, makes plays. I mean, the guy's got uh, was seven touchdowns this year, I believe. I mean, but he doesn't have more than four targets since week three. He's getting these, you know, fantasy-friendly scoring chances. That That's great, and he's proven he can convert some of them. He's a great uh, contested uh, catch artist, but not enough opportunities there when we got Zay Jones. And, I mean, look. He's at least getting these targets. Kelvin Benjamin is mercifully gone, so Zay's actually the undisputed number one wide receiver here. I know it's in Buffalo. We saw that the number one receiver in Buffalo has a 0 floor. That's definitely a possibility, but, I mean, Mike Williams can, in any given week, his best case is kind of like the number three option, and his floor is the number four or five option. So I'll take Zay Jones just based on target volume alone. What was the single most common descriptor of Josh Doxson coming out? Red zone weapon. 
Red zone weapon, red zone weapon. For years, all we've heard about Josh Doxson, red zone weapon. What have we heard about Mike Williams? Since his days in Clemson, it's been red zone weapon, jump ball artist, red zone weapon. That's the through line from Josh Doxson to Mike Williams. At least with Zay Jones, he has a skill set that suggests that he could be more like Devontae Adams. That he can get separation at the flanker position at the NFL level and be put in position to compile some yards after the catch and be a productive NFL asset in all phases. Not as an X receiver, he's not a number one, but at flanker, he can be an every down weapon. Mike Williams will never be an every down weapon. Zay my name, Zay my name. It's Zay Jones. Now, on to another Spider-Man meme. For sure. Eric Ebron or Jared Cook? Man, when when it's when the next question in my head is Andrew Luck or Derek Carr, I mean, I just I can pretty much end it there. I'm going with uh, Eric Ebron here. Cook played great last last week in that you know really good matchup against Eric Berry list uh, Chiefs defense. Hadn't cleared 75 yards uh, before that. Jared, I mean, we were hyping up these uh, tight end ones that are basically their team's number one wide receiver. Jared Cook is that guy. A lot of weeks, you know, credit to him, but. It's so inconsistent, this Raiders offense. We saw Jordy Nelson, you know, come back from the grave, Undertaker gift uh, last week and, you know, finally do something. So I'm just staying away from this Raiders offense. I I, uh, I like the Colts to bounce back this week in a potential uh, shootout against Houston. So I'm definitely fine getting exposure to Ebron. Hopefully he's uh, not as chalky as last week. So Andrew Luck proved last week that defenses matter and you like him this week against the Texans. Do you like the Colts passing game enough this week to play both Luck and Hilton to, to stack them up, get that correlation? Yeah, let's get all of them, man. Maybe uh, add Ebron to the mix. I don't know if I can make a game stack out of it, but uh, uh, you got to have discipline. We know what games we want to play. This game is uh, is not one of the prime matchups on the slate when looking strictly at implied points. That's why I asked the question. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a good point, but this, this does have the fastest uh, implied pace. We'll see if that holds up, though, because it's been two separate Houston offenses really this year. I mean, uh, I've been... You know, we were talking about Hopkins' uh, upside uh, and floor a little bit earlier, but Deshaun Watson especially too, man. Ever since he got the piss beat out of him in that Cowboys game back in week five, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he hasn't thrown more than 30 passes in the game uh, since then. I mean, look at the player props if you can because a lot, lot of times uh, you see they take a quarterback's pass attempts and they just take their season average and kind of throw that down. So you'll see Watson around 32, 33 and a half attempts when the guy hasn't cleared that in seven, eight weeks. And, you know, weeks one through five, we were seeing the 40 pass attempt uh, Houston Texans offense, but they're running it out and grinding it out. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm struggling to kind of think of, and that's why it's not a great uh, matchup per se uh, to game stack it. No. Uh, to, answer, no. to answer your original question, though, I'm fine with Ebron and Hilton. We've seen Hilton just, you know, smash these Texans nine touchdowns in 13 career games. Home away splits are a little bit alleviated when we're playing an away game that's also indoors. And uh, you know, Texans defense is great. I I believe though that uh, pass rush makes a much bigger difference in coverage than cornerback play. I, I'm not sold on the Texans cornerbacks at all, even if I know Kareem Jackson has had a good year. But I think Hilton can uh, definitely burn the likes of uh, Jonathan Joseph. And Sharice Wright. Sharice Wright is in a good defense in the NFL right now, and we're not talking about just ruthlessly targeting him. Now, Jonathan Joseph has moved into the top 10 cornerbacks on Player Profiler's cornerback rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. He's had quite the resurgence at age 34, but he's 34. 
And at one point, he ran a 4-3-2, but he's now 34. He is going to get roasted by T.Y. Hilton this week. Book it. I'm just saying, man, I don't know if he's had a resurgence or did he suck last year because Clowney and Watt couldn't get to the quarterback in three seconds or less. I mean, it's a good Houston defense. There's, I mean, it's a great Houston defense. Can't can't take that away from him. I'm just saying when you look at Hilton versus these cornerbacks, they shouldn't be able to guard him if we have an offense like Andrew Luck, a quarterback like Andrew Luck, and an offense like the Colts that knows where to attack him. Well, if you want to solve these conundrums, you go to playerprofiler.com, you scroll down into the productivity section, look at the target separation, 1.64. He's outside the top 75 in target separation. So he's allowing a lot of separation at target, but he has seven pass breakups and three interceptions. Pass breakups and interceptions are a function of both the pass rush and coverage. Now, the problem with Andrew Luck is, after he faces Houston, he then plays the Cowboys, who held the Saints to 10 points, and then he plays the Giants, who just beat the Bears. Andrew Luck has a bad schedule in the fantasy playoffs, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm not worried about it, though, man. Look, it was one game where a very talented Jaguars defense finally got their heads out of their asses and played well. I thought, look, I thought they quit after the Steelers game, and, you know, they came back, they beat the crap out of the Colts, uh, you know, and... It was expected, I think, to see Luck's uh, touchdowns come down a little bit. His his yards per attempt weren't quite at a you know kind of a, as elite level as his touchdown rate. This is still he threw three straight three or more touchdowns in eight straight games before last week. Only only Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have ever done that in NFL history. And now we're kind of oh Andrew Luck's got a tough matchup this week. Uh, I mean, thank you, Ian. I was shook last week. I admit it. And even these defenses. Uh, Houston Cowboys Giants each one of them is at least somewhat of a pass funnel and that their DVOA ranks are better against the run than the pass so uh, we've seen Marlon Mack kind of struggle to get going I'm not sure Ryan Kelly being out the cold center hasn't helped any of that and what happened last week with luck he threw the ball over 50 times so honestly like my kind of concern was luck moving forward was his pass volume so if that's going to be alleviated hey I'm right here for it Andrew Luck wheels up Marlon Mack sucks man what's your opinion on Mac is he gonna turn it around Marlon Mack no thank you disappointing I love Marlon Mack I think Marlon Mack is gonna be underrated this offseason I think that fantasy gamers will expect the Indianapolis Colts to draft a running back with early round draft capital because they've done such a great job of rebuilding other areas of the team this offseason it makes sense that they would invest in running back but I think that they like Marlon Mack and I think Marlon Mack is a well above average talent in all phases of football and you're not allowed to be surprised when he reestablishes himself in the offseason as their primary back and it could be one of those teams that everyone expects to draft a running back and then are surprised when they don't Joe Flacco has he played his last snap in Baltimore? Hope so, man. Uh, we've. Uh, I was talking about this a little this bit This is the cliche about... sports radio question. <laughs> is Joe Flacco still elite? Now, uh, this game's going to tell us a lot about the Ravens. I mean, again, they played the Bengals, Raiders, and Falcons in this stretch where you know everything kind of came together and we're anointing them as world beaters again. Uh, if Jackson can just get through this road spot against KC, he's got a nice home game versus the Buccaneers. What do you mean get through this? What are you talking about get through this? This is the spot we've been waiting for where they're, where Lamar Jackson is forced to pass because when he's forced to pass, then he becomes a dual threat where he can roll out and he can throw the ball deep to John Brown or he can pump fake, tuck it, and run for 25 yards. 
He's going to be in those types of game situations throughout. They've been sitting on leads in previous weeks, Ian, and Lamar Jackson's still been delivering 3x in DFS. Oh, he's got the floor. I, I can't argue with you there, but look, I mean, I also saw Smokey Brown streaking down the middle of the field last week while Lamar had a clean pocket, and the guy couldn't put the ball in the general vicinity of him. I mean, he's got a lot to go as a passer, and oh, if, no. they, if they get down in this game, man, look, the Chiefs are not a bad defense at home since 2015. 16.4 points per game allowed at home, 25.4 on the road. It's one of the biggest differences in the league only Jimmy Garoppolo has scored more than 23 points in Arrowhead since week one of last season. This is not easy. So the, the one spot that I do think is a little bit uh, the numbers are wrong. The Chiefs joined the Lions as the only defenses that have allowed under 100 total rushing yards to opposing quarterbacks this season. Both defenses run a lot. Here's the thing, though. Both of them run a lot of zone. And, you know, Lamar Jackson, when you're averaging 18 rush attempts per game, a ton of those are designed. So, you know, I don't think a defense being good at defending a quarterback run applies as much when the team they're playing schemes that and I mean they haven't really played anyone other than Blake Bortles but that is terrifying man that is terrifying Lamar Jackson is an incredible play in tournaments but I thought you would also lock him in in cash but based on what I'm hearing I'm not as confident his floor doesn't seem to be as high as I thought it was is Jameis Winston a better bet in cash yeah man I'm rolling with famous Jameis here I mean look I'm pretty sure the Buccaneers, uh, if you just take Fitzpatrick and Winston and just kind of combine their stats into one quarterback, it's your QB2 behind Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you said it earlier, Buccaneers have the highest uh, air yards in the league because all these guys do is throw down field consistently. You always look at their average target depth, usually in the double digits. And uh, and for Jameis, you want to talk about rushing, Jameis all of a sudden had a rushing floor. I don't know where this came from. He never averaged over 13 rushing yards per game in his first three seasons, and now he's at 28. He's always been an athletic guy. I, mean, I remember uh, last year in college, had a real nice back juke against Oklahoma State, had a nice highlight there. But, I mean, Jameis is playing good ball this year. He had one really bad game against the Bengals, which is inexcusable, but he's averaging career highs in completion percentage and yards per attempt. And, hey, I don't know. Maybe all the turnovers in your offense that seems to happen no matter what quarterback is under center has some more to do with Dirk Coder's scheme that continuously has them chucking the ball downfield without any sign of a running game. So We don't mind that, though. I want turnovers. That just means they have to work harder to score more points. It's great for fantasy. I'm just, I feel like, I feel, I feel like James. Yeah, they have to score points. Jameis has gotten a bad rap this year, I think. I think he's played better than people give him credit for, and I think it has more to do with Coder and the screen than it in the scheme that it does to Jameis. So I've been shipping this Winston Godwin Brait Buccaneers stack for weeks. So I should just keep pushing the button on Winston Brait Godwin. I think so, man. Especially if uh, we'll see where the CJ Uzoma ownership goes. But I'm fine with uh, Brait over Uzoma for that same price. Brait's gonna have a huge week soon. I question just how high his up i mean obviously it'd be great to have oj howard one of those few guys that has that super high ceiling at the tight end spot i don't know if Braid has that but look i mean we're just looking for around 50 yards and a touchdown anyway from him so multiple touchdowns that's what i'm looking for yeah and i think it's a smart pivot especially off uh, adam humphreys just get guys that are on the field in this buccaneers offense and right now Braid's one of those top four guys so it, it, he could be that number two guy kind of like you're saying in any given week can you believe that Matt Ryan's actually priced below Baker Mayfield on DK this week? <laughs> I cannot, man. Guys, one bad game. Threw for uh, at least 300 yards in seven of eight games. Goes in, sucks against the Ravens, and now uh, Baker's ahead of him.
He's averaging over 23 fantasy points per game, mostly because of that early season schedule. He had the best early season schedule of any quarterback. Now the schedule tightens, and the platforms just do not respect Matt Ryan, and it's hilarious. What about those fringe quarterbacks that no one respects? Are there any fringe quarterbacks playable in cash under 5,500, for example? I'm still intrigued by Jeff Driscoll because I don't think we saw all of his rushing ability that he has uh, last week. He was a guy in college that was, you know, really used as a dual threat throughout. And we saw, I believe, uh, you know, he had like 45 yards, I think, in his first uh, game in, uh, uh, in relief. So not when he was starting. But was able to get plenty going on the ground. Only saw, I think, three carries for three yards last week. So that's something that didn't go away, obviously. It just didn't really uh, flash last week. Tough matchup on the road against the Chargers and everything. But, hey, like you said, it's a fringe QB. So Yeah, it's a tough matchup for Joe Mixon. You don't play Joe Mixon because they're going on the road and they'll be facing negative game script. But that's all reason to play Jeff Driscoll, in my opinion. I'm with you, man. I mean, I'm not putting him in cash or anything, but there's upside there. I would play him in cash. I wouldn't play him in tournaments. Absolutely not. I don't think the upside with Jeff Driscoll is there without A.J. Green. I'm not playing him in a spot where I need to score 30-plus points with my quarterback. But if I need value and I want to play that Barkley, McCaffrey, Elliott running back core in cash, Jeff Driscoll helps you get there and not necessarily have to pay down across the board at wide receiver either. That's the beauty of Driscoll over Lamar Jackson. I'll probably still play Lamar Jackson and Jameis Winston, but there's a case for Driscoll in cash. Well, yeah, we'll. See. I don't know if I completely turn him out and uh, completely cross him out in tourney zone, man. We we're talking earlier about how valuable Mitch Trubisky is with that rushing and receiving. I know. When you don't have a wide receiver one, it really kills me. Losing at your wide receiver one is a real buzz kill for tournaments. If they were in a better matchup here where I wasn't so confident the Chargers could take away Boyd with uh, King and Hayward, I feel a lot better about taking a chance on Driscoll. That's right. Under what scenario would you ever play Rob Gronkowski in Daily Fantasy? (laughs) The Rob Gronkowski 5000 is stiff and does not operate at the same level of fluidity it once did. Oh, my God. I'm I'm, I'm honestly worried if he even makes it to this game. I was reading a a B-Rider article this morning, and it's just sounding... He is so banged up right now, and I mean, he popped. He was off the injury report to start last week. Popped back up this ankle and back thing. He, he obviously played, but man, the, the physicality is the biggest problem for me, man. It's not just that he's not separating, but like you're not. We're not even seeing like the run after the catch goodness that has kind of defined Gronk throughout his career. So it's it's like watching an old racehorse limp around the track. It's like, oh man, why do they keep racing Secretariat? Put him out to pasture. <clears throat> Put him down. Don't shoot him in the head, though. Just, just put him out to pasture. That's the thing, though. I mean, if we did think of these players as racehorses, and Rob Gronkowski was a breeding stallion, can you think of a player that would enjoy more being a stud, <laughs> a literal stud, than Rob Gronkowski? The idea that, let me explain this to you, Rob. So you just get to sit around and eat and drink whatever you want, and then we bring the females to you, and then you get to have sex with them, and then we just take them away, and then we bring in another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. I feel like you see Gronk at a club anyway, and he's ripping his shirt off, and that's kind of what already happens, uh, as it is, but I'm, I'm sure Gronk would be a great stud for sure. I can imagine a Rob Gronkowski dream scenario where he is a stud in some alternate reality where they breed football players. 
like, and that he would enjoy it more than anyone else would ever enjoy it because a lot of people would say no to that. They say that's ah, just too monotonous. <laughs> I'd be bored. I don't love sex that much. I need more mental stimulation. And Rob Gronkowski would be like, sign me up for that. That's my dream world. <laughs> what about John U. Smith? John U. Smith was a hero in cash games for consecutive weeks. We thought it was going to be Matt Lacoste last week. That didn't happen. Who is this week's Jonu Smith? Yeah, I was on the Lacoste tra- uh, train, unfortunately, man. How'd that dude not even get one catch? He had one catch the last, like... Because he's Matt Lacoste. Because Jonu Smith's actually a good football player. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We're talking about Matt Lacoste, of course. Uh, I'm going with another guy that isn't a good football player, oh, so... no, no! Yeah. I said the next Jonu Smith, not the next Matt Lacoste. Um, I don't know if there is a John. I mean, I don't think it's Ian Thomas, man. I don't know if there is a John Smith this week. It's not Ian Thomas. Your name is Ian. I thought for sure you were going to say Ian Thomas. Great name, you know. I'm I'm, I'm all with you. On, I'm all with you on Team Ian, but athleticism. It's athleticism, man. He's still going to be the number four or five option in that offense. Best case, at least with for for whatever reason, Eli Manning has decided to bless something named Rhett Ellison, and he has 13 targets over the last two weeks, and only Beckham has more with 18. I mean, this guy's at least gone uh, four catches, 77 yards against the Eagles, four catches, 42 yards against the Bears. It's a two-week sample size of Eli at least giving this guy, you know, seven, six targets per game. And if Evan Ingram's going to be out again, I, I, Sterling Shepard's banged up enough. I think Red Ellison, I can't believe I'm saying this, but makes sense as the number two guy in New York this week. And I don't know if you can say that about any other uh, tight end under 3K. Your name's Ian. The answer is Ian Thomas. He logged an 83% snap share, which is essentially a 100% snap share after Greg Olson went down, commanded five targets, and caught all five targets. So 100% catch rate, he's good at football. When targeted, he converts those catches. And in games in which Greg Olson didn't play, week three against Cincinnati, five targets. Week five against the Giants, six targets. And he's developing as a rookie tight end. It's a very difficult position to play as a rookie. He's learning it. He's improving. He's commanding more targets as the season goes on. He's 6'4", 260 with a 124.5, 83rd percentile burst score. So he has the size-adjusted athleticism that I love. If he were a move tight end, I would be moving on. But because he looks the part of an every-down inline tight end who's going to be deployed in all game situations, I like Ian Thomas. It just concerns me that we, we've we already had this pop up when Olsen missed three games earlier, and he wasn't able to put it on the box score. I know he had the snaps and targets, but... At the end of the day, he wasn't able to clear 40 yards or score in any of those games. But hey, man, I mean, that's... Not until this week. Yeah, I was about to say, that's not predicting what he's doing this week. So it could certainly change. And That's why he's in the next John o. Smith, because John o. Smith went weeks after Delaney Walker was put on IR with very few targets, almost no production, and then all of a sudden, boom. I think this is the boom week for Ian Thomas. And if not, I don't care. What are you going to do, get mad because you played Ian Thomas because I told you to? <laughs> If he doesn't go off and you played him, then you just have to eat it. If he does go off, then you have to listen to me celebrate. Either way, <laughs> I win. I'm, I'm not sold on him just yet, but I will give you Ian Thomas is a much better uh, comp for Jonah Smith than uh, Red Ellison. He's a fun fringe tight end. We look for those guys every week, and he's that guy. Normally, a star tight end goes down, and his backup looks a lot more like Rhett Ellison than Ian Thomas. So we're blessed that we have an Ian Thomas on that depth chart. Brunch. Ooh. What's your favorite brunch item? 
I'm going to go with Eggs Benedict. Ooh, Eggs Benny. My, uh, my, my lovely grandfather's been making that uh, family brunches for years. Couldn't go better. But I got a little bit of a hot take on the food uh, f- on the food portion of the pod. You got to go light on the, the hollandaise sauce. Yeah, that's fair. The biggest problem that you have with Eggs Benedict is that they drown the egg in hollandaise. I order the hollandaise on the side, Ooh. and I also use Tabasco on my Eggs Benedict. But if you just – a light drizzle is all you need of something as rich – as hollandaise sauce question though so when you have brunch do you then have dinner and call it a day two meals yeah because you wake up that's what we need the three meal day is a myth you have a coffee you have a banana something very light to get you going in the morning and then you hold off eating until 11 11 30 you sit down for brunch and then it's extended because it's sunday you're at the table and you're eating, snacking, grazing on brunch, maybe at a buffet for two hours, <laughs> having a good time with your friends and family. So by the time you leave the restaurant, it's as if you just ate lunch, even though you showed up earlier and you're fully satisfied and you're on schedule for dinner later on that day. Yeah, man. I, I just think, you know, there's always a new diet, people doing this, people doing that. Just if you, I think the best way to lose weight is to eat less food. So. That's, that's my hot food take. And you don't necessarily need to start the day with a nutritious breakfast. I know that that's the most important meal of the day. That's a cliche. It's a trap. That's not necessarily true. You don't need to start your day with a big breakfast. As long as it's healthy, you're doing yourself a service. You don't necessarily need to consume copious calories at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's not a requirement for your body. But the one problem a lot of people have with brunch is that most of the items on the menu are high-calorie, high-carbohydrate, dense food with very little nutritional value. I'm thinking of something like a waffle, (laughs) a French toast. So you have to be disciplined at brunch. Find something healthy. A Greek egg white omelet, for example, can be good for you and tasty. You don't want to always fall for the heavy, carbohydrate-rich foods at brunch because then it's just going to sit in your stomach and it's going to slow you down for the afternoon. You're going to feel sluggish. You don't want to do that. Be strategic when you're eating brunch, but you need to enjoy the hell out of it and not worry about your DFS lineups. Those should already be set, submitted. Just enjoy your brunch. Now, who do you qualify for truther status on? My name is Ian Harditz and I'm a Cordero Patterson is an RB truther. That's great, man. I love that. Yeah, man. I've been, uh, so I was listening to an episode of uh, GM Street like two years ago with uh, Mike Lombardi on, on The Ringer. And uh, he was just mentioning how uh, when Patterson went to the Patriots, and he goes, man, I, I watched this guy with the ball, and it's, just give him the ball. He doesn't know how to run routes, doesn't know what he's doing, but you give the guy the ball, and he makes plays. You know, pull up game pass, and all of a sudden, sure enough, Cordero Patterson has averaged like 10 yards per carry on his uh, – uh, you know, 20, 30 career carries. And I'll be damned if he's not lining up in the backfield and looking like a damn good running back. And what do you know, when he goes to a good football team like the Patriots, they put him in his real position in the backfield where that man can shine with the football. And one more thing is I want to give some respect to two guys that are beat up all season in the DFS community, Marcus Peters and Xavier Howard. 
Look, these guys get beat a lot. They get roasted. They give up touchdowns. They also both have a league-high 11 picks since 2016. You know, there's a lot of cornerbacks that can sit back all game and allow quarterbacks to dig and dunk underneath. It takes a special player to really gamble and try to make plays. Janoris Jenkins was this guy for, for years where they get beat a lot. They also make plays. So, you know, it's not always the best, but I, I respect those guys that consistently go out and try to get the ball. It was apropos that at the end of the Chiefs-Rams game, it was Marcus Peters squeezing that interception. Yeah, man. Even though he didn't cause it, <laughs> he was in the right place at the right time because he's so fucking aggressive. And when you talk about Cordero Patterson playing running back for the Patriots, it reminded me of our conversation about Mike Williams with the Chargers. Now, when Cordero Patterson was on the Vikings... Same with Tavon Austin. The analysis was, well, they need to scheme those players into space. They need to engineer touches for those players to essentially reverse engineer the playbook to get the ball in these players' hands. That's not the way to go. That's the wrong-headed approach. If you have a Tavon Austin or you have a Cordero Patterson, you develop the best possible plays to win games. And then you look at your roster and you see what skill sets you have at your disposal and you deploy them in an optimal way. You don't promise Mike Williams X snap share, X routes, X targets. You say, I can promise you, Mike Williams, we're going to use you in the areas of the football field where you can help us, where it makes the most sense based on your skills and the plays we're calling. And the same is true with Corderell Patterson in New England. It makes sense to play you at running back when we need you, and it doesn't make sense for us to feed you outside. That's a losing proposition for us. It's a winning proposition if we can give you eight carries out of the backfield. You're never going to be a featured player in the NFL. That's just not who you are. But we're going to use you in a way that you're going to shine much more than you ever did in Oakland, for example. Yeah, man, I'm with you. And I think uh, in the future, what I think we could see kind of the new position switch could could be some of these bigger body wide receivers potentially bumping down to tight end. It's going to be an issue uh, blocking and all that. But like, I just when uh, Saints haven't used him yet, but when they sign Brandon Marshall, I mean, I, you know, you just some of these receivers. You, what's the difference between Brandon Marshall and Jimmy Graham, really? I mean, you know. I think Graham's got more experience playing in line, pr probably a little bit better blocker. But if defenses aren't going to respect, like, you know, we see Alvin Kamara, like, just these players that can force a defense to, you know, if you have Brandon Marshall at tight end, you can't, probably can't cover him with a linebacker. Even, you know, 35-year-old Brandon Marshall, you probably need to have at least a safety out there on the field. So just being able to manipulate the defense with these uh, kind of special, versatile players, uh, I think will be something to keep an eye on in the future. If Kelvin Benjamin is refusing Josh Allen's request <laughs> to work on route and throw timing before the game, how do you think Kelvin Benjamin is going to respond when a coach asks Kelvin Benjamin to start working on his blocking technique <laughs> so he can start logging snaps in line? That's a good point. I don't think Kelvin's going to be the, the first guy we're going to really approach this with. Well, he would be the first guy I would <laughs> tap to convert to tight end. He would just tell me to go fuck myself. <laughs> so we were uh, we were talking before the show a little about how offseason lets us, you know, you can really dive into more research. And one of the things with Kelvin Benjamin I remember finding was uh, on Josh uh, Hersmunder's uh, air yard site, he has a game speed um, spot where you can compare a player's game speed versus a different position. And if you look at Kelvin Benjamin versus the average wide receiver, yeah, he's below average. Look at Kelvin Benjamin versus the average tight end. Kelvin Benjamin was also slower than the average tight end last oh! year. So. <laughs> oh! 
All right, man. We get you out of here on this. I need a very, 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 very bold prediction for the rest of the season. All right, man. You had me on this summer, and I said uh, I said the Chargers were going to win the AFC, and Melvin Gordon was going to be the AFC Offensive Player of the Year. Fortunately, I don't think that Gordon one's going to work out, but let's double down the Chargers. They're winning the Super Bowl. Phillip Rivers is going to have a ninth kid and a Super Bowl ring this time in February. I'm looking forward to it. I think Joey Bosa has helped uh, that defense tenfold, even though they lost Perryman and uh, Corey Lijan in that interior. Defense has enough talent at all three levels to get the job done. And, you know, we've seen Austin Eckler. I won't say the other guy's name. They have plenty of uh, guys to potentially replace Gordon, even if he's not able to return. So give me the Chargers to get through this uh, tough AFC and maybe take down the uh, oh, Los Angeles Super Bowl. We'll see. The best value in the NFL draft in 2018, his name, Derwin James. Mm. All Derwin James does is make plays, and they have playmakers from Casey Hayward to Derwin James. And then you have Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Ooh, but they're not going to win the Super Bowl unless they get quality quarterback play. And Phillip Rivers is playing some of the best football of his career. No more deserving quarterback in the league to hoist the Lombardi Trophy than Mr. Phillip Rivers. to hoist the Lombardi Trophy than Mr. Philip Rivers. Good show. That's the show. I love it, man. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks for having me on. Always a good time. My buddy was in town this weekend, and whenever I hang out with my friends, they just want to talk about what I do, and I barely get a chance to ask them questions about what they do because they're always asking me about my job because they're fascinated. They're so fascinated. Wait, like, how does this work again? And they're like, you just, you just talk football all day? And they're like, well, why don't more people do it? I'm like, well, because no one else is the pod father, man. I'm like, I'm the pod father. <laughs> but they're not into fantasy football, so they don't even know the pod father persona. So imagine me for the first time having to break it down and explain what the podfather persona is. I'm like, so I don't answer people's questions on social media. And they're like, well, why don't you answer their questions on social media? And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> we have to go over this. <laughs> it strikes to the heart of the podfather. Like, that's the whole point. And then when you start explaining it, you just sound douchey. You just have to trust me. But if you start trying to get any deeper, explaining the mechanics of brand identity of the pod father, I mean, it, it falls apart very quickly. I just changed the subject. It's like in that Anchorman scene when Veronica just meets Ron and you go, well, I'm kind of a big deal. Like, I don't know. You might not exactly know me, but I'm like, yeah, you got to believe me. <laughs> By the time December rolls around, I'm just on the factory floor pumping out widgets at the assembly line. Tuesdays is the worst. Tuesdays are like the Groundhog Day. 
where I just wake up and I'm like, oh my god, Tuesday, this is terrible. When you're synthesizing all the data, it's a slog. It's autopilot, man. I'm more on social media in the offseason than I am during the season. I'm with it there, dude. I'm thinking too this offseason. I'm going to, I got, because I got suspended for like a week from the NFL from posting. <laughs> Too many, uh, I mean, I was beating their NFL account and getting the highlights out, and they didn't like that, so. Wait, what happened with that? A sick highlight would happen, and I could download the highlight, get it in MP4, get it posted on Twitter before the NFL account could. And I was like, cool, I know how to do this. Apparently no one else does, because no one else is doing it. I'll be the wobe of uh, NFL Twitter. It was a really fun preseason. Things were going well, you know, killing the social media game and all that. And then, uh, yeah, NFL suspended me after week one. No Twitter for a week during work uh, wasn't very good for the brand, so... Uh, That's great for the brand. Are you kidding me? This is the conversation I'm having with my friends. This is great for the brand. You were suspended forever. You're not allowed to post videos? Well, so that's the thing. I'm afraid to do it again in season because I just don't want to get suspended again right now. But off season again... So the NBA has no problem with Worldwide Wob? NBA has no problem because they go, hey, it's free marketing for us. NFL does, which you know what? That's fine. I don't even need to do the live videos. I'd rather chill and not have to worry about that. Uh, the chilling effect of the suspension. The NFL is a powerful entity, and they have a lot of followers, and, and, and their presence on Twitter is a big deal. It has a lot of value to Twitter. So if they submit a complaint that you're posting copywritten stuff, then... Twitter was obliged to respond. The thing is, in these user agreements that we quote-unquote sign when we sign up for these platforms, all that stuff is in there. They just don't police it. That's why tits are on Twitter. Tits aren't supposed to be on Twitter. But there are videos of people having sex on Twitter because they can't police everything. Really, it's a squeaky wheel game is what happened. So the NFL was the squeaky wheel, and then Twitter said, oh, okay, we'll go look into this. We'll suspend this guy. We'll send a message. We'll send a message to football Twitter. You were the fall guy as they sent a message. You're right up there with Kaepernick. Right, man? I figured out how to get highlights up faster than you. Maybe uh, ask the Twitter user how he's doing that instead of suspending him. But hey, man, that's, that's the NFL for you. I didn't understand the delay. Technically... I knew they could get them out sooner, and I didn't know why they didn't. It's the same when you're watching the broadcast, and they show a highlight of a touchdown that happened 30 minutes ago. And I'm like, we've moved on from that touchdown, bro. We're like five touchdowns from that touchdown. Why are you going back to that Taylor Gabriel touchdown? That was like a whole 30 minutes ago. That's stale. Hey, just imagine how uh, much the NFL would have suspended me if they had video of me uploading the videos, right? Oh, if they had the video of the video. Oh! Then I'd be in trouble. Now we're really in the nesting dolls of nefarious behavior. That's right. All that matters is the video. You can do whatever you want as long as it's not on video. The problem is it's now $30 to install a video camera anywhere you want and hook it up to the internet. So being a bad guy is becoming more and more difficult. I have a titmouse at my bird feeder right now. Tits, tits, tits. Get your head out of the gutter. Tits, tits, tits. I mean, just be faster. The Tariq Cohen wheel route, man. It's unstoppable the voice of God calling plays as naked as you want to be. I mean, just be faster. Get out of here with Justin Jackson. I love saying the name Justin Jackson. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. 
It's about the Jims and Joes, not the X's and O's, I think, as they like to say. Well, it's LaShawn McCoy. This is what he does. He has experience being a Bill, but you don't necessarily give away any upside because it's David Johnson! Who, who fucking cares, so... And this is coming from someone with the name Tits. We interviewed Jeff Wilson's mother. She couldn't really find any compelling reason to play him other than his low salary on DraftKings. She kept going back to points per dollar. And I was like, you got anything else, Mrs. Wilson? She said, nah, not really. (laughs) Oh, no, the snow. The snow is what can stop Julio Jones, right? It's about the Jims and Joes, not the X's and O's, I think, as they like to say. Speed, 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 speed kills, man. I mean, just be faster. Because that's the ultimate goal, is to score fantasy points. He would just tell me to go fuck myself. My name is Ian Harditz, and I am a Cordero Patterson is an RB truther. <gasps> oh, no. He's shadowing. Oh, ah! oh no. <laughs> The 2018 Patrick Peterson shadow is not the same guy that we need to fear. And then you get to have sex with them, and then we just take them away, and then we bring in another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. The Rob Gronkowski 5000 is stiff, stiff, stiff. The tape lied. Who, who fucking cares, so? Either way, I win. He would just tell me to go fuck myself.